Well, uh, Chad read a passage of scripture for you that, that shows you a pretty amazing group of people. It's the early church. And we, we see what this early church was about. They were selling their possessions. They were giving to the poor. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the text tells us that they grew. Um, but what I want us to see in that passage and, and some of the other passages we're going to work through uh, this morning is a group of people who knew holy habits. There were holy habits that characterized that early church. And as this group of people engaged in these holy habits, God formed and shaped them to be more like Jesus. So uh, last week we looked at sanctifying grace. It's this element of, of God's work in our life in which we are transformed to be more like Jesus. We know that we experience God's grace in a moment that he justifies us, that he makes it just as if we never sinned. And so we become a child of God. But then there's this, this, this second part of our journey in which, you know, we get all of God at salvation, but God gets all of us at sanctification. It's that moment where we say, God, I'm all yours. I'm all in. Everything I have, my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions, my life, my money, my time, my calendar, everything is yours, God, and I'm going to live with open hands and be totally consecrated to you. That begins a journey of sanctification. And that's where the Holy Spirit begins to form and mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus. And so Pastor Aaron talked about that last week. Today we're looking at sustaining grace. We've looked at saving grace, sanctifying grace, and today we're looking at sustaining grace because this journey of holiness, this journey of becoming more like Jesus, it has to be sustained by God's divine work in our life through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The ultimate goal is that we would progress through our life and become a person that loves God and loves neighbor more and more every day. And so there's a benediction in the book of Jude. And, and don't get too excited that I'm reading a benediction this early in the sermon. okay? But I want you to see how Jude concludes his letter that he wrote to uh, an early group of believers. And he, he concludes with this benediction. But I love what he's praying for them. Jude says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. I love this benediction. I love how grand it is and how it takes us into the majesty and the authority of Jesus. But Jude's initial prayer is what I want us to lean into as we think about sustaining grace. He prays two things, that you would be free from stumbling, that this God would be so at work in your life that you, you, it would be, you would be free from stumbling. This is allusions to the kind of life that we can live with victory over temptation, victory over sin. I pray that you would be free from stumbling, but it's not just this this negative aspect of, I want to make sure I don't break a known law of God, okay? Sanctification is not about sin management, okay? Sanctification is about the second thing. Sustaining grace is about the second thing, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. It's this positive aspect of, because of sustaining grace at work in your life, we one day will stand before the Lord with great joy, and we will celebrate the things that God did through us, the way he formed us and the way he shaped us. It's an incredibly optimistic picture of who we can be in Christ. 
It's an incredibly optimistic picture of who we can be in Christ. I want you to know, like God is, the Bible's really high on humanity. I mean, yeah, we have a very robust doctrine of original sin. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. But at the same time, the Bible says some things like humanity is created in the image of God. We have the capacity to bear God's image to the world. And so the Bible's in, we have a robust doctrine of original sin, but at the same time, we have an incredibly robust idea of grace and what grace can do in the life surrendered to Jesus. So what does this look like, this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus, this journey of, of fulfilling this vision that Jude has for the believers? I'll tell you a little bit about my early journey. Uh, I would characterize my initial steps of faith as Tarzan Christianity. Okay, let me explain what that means. You know who Tarzan is? Tarzan, Jane, um, this, this guy that lives in the jungle. I'm not sure how that happened. Uh, we'd, we'd have to go back and watch the movie. I'm really glad Disney reimagined that for us. Um, and, you know, how did Tarzan get around? He lived in the trees. And how did he get from one tree to the other? He's swinging, man, from vine to vine, right? And uh, as I do that, like I hear Phil Collins, you'll be in my heart. Like I just, maybe, maybe you're there with me, okay? So here's Tarzan. He's swinging from vine to vine. He's going from tree to tree. This is how Tarzan gets around in the jungle. And if I could just give you an image that captures my early stages of faith. I was a young person. I came to Jesus. There was this incredible high moment. I was at a retreat setting, and there were friends all around me. And I realized that God had saved me, that God had a plan and purpose for my life. And I'm on this amazing high. And then I swung from that amazing high to the next one. Oh, we have another retreat. And I grabbed onto that vine. And I swung to the next. We have a revival coming up. And this evangelist was so compelling. And he taught us some things about Jesus. And I caught onto that vine. And I just swung to the next one. And if I could characterize my first eight or nine years of following Jesus from a young person all the way through college, there was always another vine to grab. There was always another retreat. There was always another camp. There was always another... Uh, when we got to college, we called them spiritual deepening weeks. Because when you get to a four-year institution, you just can't call it revival. you got to have a fancy name for it. And so there was spiritual deepening week in the fall, and there was spiritual deepening week in the spring. And just about the time I, I, I would, you know, fall into some te temptation and be convinced that, that I, would, I had fallen out of favor with God, one more vine would come along, and, and I would recommit my life, and I would make a commitment to, to be renewed in my faith and in my journey. There was one vine after another, swinging to the next, from one mountaintop to the next. And you know what I discovered after I graduated from college and got married and then began to enter, began to enter the, the grind of life? There wasn't a programmed vine for me to grab onto next. There was this expectation that, that I would engage with a community of faith, that I would read God's word, that I would be engaged in ministry. There was this expectation that I would begin to cultivate some disciplines that would sustain me for the long haul of following Jesus. And there were several years where I felt lost 
because I was trying to grab on to the next vine. I was trying to grab on to the next thing. I was living from experience to experience. And friends, these experiences in our life, they're so important. They're times of awakening. And for me, it was growing up in the church. It was camps and retreats and revivals and all of, this kind of, all of these kinds of things. But, but for you, and, and all of us are different, but, but maybe life events serve as vines for us. The birth of a child, and suddenly we're awakened to, wow, I have a responsibility to teach this child about Jesus, and so I'm going to make a renewed commitment to my faith. Or maybe you suffer some kind of loss, and this, this life event where you, you turn to Jesus, and, 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 and that, that event is a vine for you that you grab on, and you move to the next thing. Whatever it is, sustaining grace wants to move us from Tarzan Christianity to a daily, consistent, deliberate walk with Jesus. A a walk with Jesus in which we approach each day knowing, knowing that God is with us, knowing that this day is the Lord's, knowing that, that God is going to do, that I'm going to be awakened to grace in the normal, ordinary, regular things that I go through in this day. It's a journey. And it's not vine to vine, it's step by step with Jesus. We, we, we must get to a point in our walk with Jesus in which we are approaching each day step by step. And I love the euphoria of mountaintop experiences, but sometimes we must go with God into the valley, step by step. And in that valley, you just need to know It may be a dark time for you. It may be a difficult time. It may be a season of grief. It may be a season of loss. But this sustaining grace that is most embodied in the life of Jesus Christ and his spirit that is with us, it goes with us. We do not go into the valley alone. We go into the valley step by step with Jesus, and it is his sustaining grace that keeps us. And so what God's grace wants to do is not just accomplish our salvation, but God is also in the business of accomplishing our transformation. And our long-term transformation into a person that reflects Jesus to the world is not going to be going from vine to vine. It's going to be by daily attending to God's presence in his life. God not only wants to accomplish our salvation, but our transformation. Um, so what does this look like? What does this sort of daily grind of following Jesus through sustaining grace look like? Um, this week, our attention has been on New York City and the Pentagon and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And, and we remember 20 years ago, 9-11. For, for whatever reason, all of those images of New York City reminded me of a much happier moment that took place on the Hudson River. And I was reminded this week of the story of Captain Sullenberger. It also involved an airplane. It also involved New York City. And you are probably familiar with this story, but as Captain Sullenberger took up to Captain Sullenberger, I'll just say Sully. As Captain Sully took off from Newark Airport, uh, his, his aircraft hit a flock of geese. And upon hitting that flock of geese, he lost both engines. And he and a co-pilot had to make split-second decisions. Where's the closest airport? It's too far away. We can't get there. 
what do we do? Do we land on the New Jersey Turnpike? No, it'll kill everybody in the cars. Do we, where can we put this plane down? There's skyscrapers everywhere. There's the Hudson River. Can we glide it onto the Hudson River? Can we land it there? In a matter of two minutes and 30 seconds, Captain Sully and his co-pilot made a decision to land the aircraft on the Hudson River. It took two minutes and 30 seconds. And you know the rest of the story. They safely get the plane down into the river. The plane is able to float. Passengers deplane. They're standing on the wings of the aircraft waiting for the port authority to come pick them up and rescue them. And there were no casualties. It was an amazing event. But, what went, but, but Captain Sully made several different decisions and his skill kicked in and he did some, some really incredible things to get that plane safely into the river. But it was the culmination of a lifetime of aviation. It was a lifetime of piloting aircraft, a lifetime of making decisions, a lifetime of knowing how aircraft respond in certain conditions. One experience built upon another, that built upon another, that built upon another. And those two and a half minutes were glamorous, and we celebrate them. But what went into those two and a half minutes was a lifetime of discipline, a lifetime of learning how to respond in certain situations. And friend, that is what God is wanting to do through sustaining grace. Teach us every day how to be more like Jesus. Teach us every day how to respond like Jesus. And ultimately, it's going to culminate in some amazing things that we do for the Lord. But we don't just jump onto some kind of mission or jump onto some project and do this amazing thing for the Lord without all this experience and all these disciplines that go into that moment. So the book of Hebrews talks about this journey. And I I've been drawn to the book of Hebrews lately. So Hebrews chapter 12, this is getting to the end of what the writer to the Hebrews is trying to say. And he's just given us this amazing theology of who Christ is and how Christ is the the better sacrifice, the better temple, the one we fix our eyes on. He is, is just exalting Christ in every way. And then he gets to the so what moment. Okay, because of what God has done in Christ, here's what this daily journey looks like. Let's pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 12. He writes this, our fathers, they disciplined us a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that, watch this, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. He's saying, go to the gym. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that you may not be lame or disabled, but rather healed. Verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everybody and be holy Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights 
as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So this is a part of Scripture where the writer is giving us many admonitions. He's giving us many things that we need to do. Strengthen your arms, your weak knees. Let's, let's, let's lean into these disciplines, these things that make us more like Jesus because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is important stuff. All of this great theology in Hebrews, it's all going to fall by the wayside if the people of God don't really lean in here and, and get this so what moment. And he takes us to this character in the Old Testament named Esau. And he assumes that the audience receiving the letter knows Esau's story. And I don't want to make that assumption this morning. I want to make sure you know Esau's story. So Esau is one of two sons that was born to Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, and we say this third name, Jacob. But there's really, uh, uh, had, had things gone differently we could be saying today the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You see, Esau and Jacob were twins. And so they were born to Isaac there in the book of, of Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. Uh, and Esau was born first. And so as the firstborn twin, he technically received what was called the birthright. It was, it was all of the blessing and all the wealth of the house, of the estate. It would fall to the firstborn male heir. But this interesting thing happens when Esau is born. Here's his twin brother Jacob attached to his heel. So I don't, I, I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how he had the manual dexterity as a baby in utero to grab onto his heel, but this is what the Bible says. So here's Jacob right on Esau's heel. And this is how Jacob was born. And so they, they gave him a name, and he kind of lived up to it. The word Jacob means heel grabber. And so uh, how would you like that to be how people know you? And, and, and Jacob and Esau grow up, and, and Esau is a man of, he's a man's man. He's a hunter. He knows how to kill wild game. And so he's out hunting. He's trying to bring something in for the family. And, and Jacob ends up staying more around the house. He helps Rebecca, his mom, out around the house a lot. And um, he's a really good cook. Really, 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 really good cook. Esau comes in and he smells something. Jacob's got something on the stove. Oh, Jacob, that smells great. What is that? And Jacob said, well, it's a little bit of, bit of red beans and rice I just, I just cooked up. Now, I don't know if he had the Cajun seasoning that we have, but, but the Bible literally said it was red beans. A little bit of red beans and rice on the stove. And and Esau says, oh, man, it smells so good. I'm starved. I'm famished. I've got to have some of this red beans and rice. Jacob, the heel grabber, finally sees his moment. He says, well, you can have all the red beans and rice you want, but you need to give me your birthright. Everything that it means for you to be the firstborn son of Isaac, I want you to pass that along to me. And Esau says, oh, come on. It's my birthright. I can't do that. And Jacob says, okay, fine. I'll enjoy all of this stew to myself. I'll have red beans and rice, and you can have whatever's around, which is not much. Esau says, fine. I'm starving. What is a birthright anyway? 
give me some of that red beans and rice. And so Jacob makes the agreement. Esau sells him his birthright for a bowl of stew. And it is this quintessential story in the book of Genesis Genesis, to say, look at the short-sightedness of Esau. Look at how foolish Esau is. Look at how, how Esau is always chasing immediate gratification. What a silly, silly, silly thing to do, to sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. And in fact, this would never be forgotten. Not only is the story recorded in the book of Genesis, but the descendants of Esau, they are now known as the Edomites. And the word Edom means red beans. They're now known as people of red beans. Awesome. How would you like to be known as the people of of red beans? The Edomites, people who descended from someone who sold this incredible blessing of wealth for a bowl of of stew. And, And I think about my life growing up going from vine to vine. And I think about the, the, the instant gratification that, that sort of happens when we have these mountaintop experiences. We, God just kind of, we encounter God and, and we have this instant moment and it's awesome. And we're all, all of a sudden we're caught up in this euphoria of a, of a spiritual experience. And, and my goodness, folks, we need those. Those are important. But those are not the things that sustain us. Where sustaining grace is, is most evident is, is when we become engaged in these holy habits. These holy habits that form healthy disciples. Holy habits that form healthy disciples. Today, we're going to celebrate the life of Thelma Skaggs. And one of the things we're going to have to talk about when you talk about her life is this holy habit of being with the people of God, of serving the people of God, of making Sunday morning a priority in her life, of making ministry in the local church a priority in her life. It was a holy habit. Do you know someone who has cultivated the discipline of reading Scripture? They're not just waiting for the next vine to come along to swing to the next experience. They're daily in God's Word. They're feasting on what God has revealed about Himself and who He is and what His plan is for our lives. And you know what? When they don't understand something, they don't just close the book and give up and say, well, I don't understand that. Now they dig in. They begin to do Bible study. They begin to ask questions. They meet with their life group. Sometimes they admit they don't know. And men, I know that's hard for us. I think that's why we don't do Bible study as much as women do. Because always, we always want to be the expert in the room. Men, can we just walk into a Bible study and say, I don't know. It's okay. I give you permission. You don't have to be the expert. You don't have to have all the answers. But meet with the people of God. Go to a Bible study. Learn what God is saying there and have enough courage to say, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to go find out. Holy habits, friends. These holy habits form healthy disciples. And so we make attendance to the the church a priority in our lives. We read God's word. We engage in prayer. And what is it that these things are are doing? They are forming and making us more like Jesus. I've got my phone in my back pocket. I hope to get a text at some point. My youngest son's playing baseball this morning. 
And, and I'm really hoping that I'm going to get a text that says that they won. But one of the things that, one of the things that our baseball team is committed to is, is fundamentals. I mean, we're, we're, when we get together for practice, we take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ground balls. Kids have got to know how to get their gloves down, and they've got to know how to feel ground balls, and they've got to know where to make the play, and they've got to know where to throw it. They need to be trained to do that. I counted the ground ball outs that we made yesterday. We, 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 we played a really close game. We lost by one run. Every ground ball on the infield, we made the play. We had, we had, a, we had a perfect day in the infield. It was awesome. Really proud of our team. We, played a, we ended up playing four innings. So that's 12 outs. And we had three ground ball outs. Everything else was a strikeout or a flyout. Three, we, we, we recorded three ground ball outs in the game. Do you know what it took for us to record three ground ball outs? Every one of those infielders had to take 100 ground balls in practice. And not all four of them had a chance to field a ground ball. So when we talk about attending to the means of grace, this is Wesley's term, being with the people of God, engaging in a life group, reading scripture, giving of our, our tithes and our offerings. These are holy habits that form you. They, sustaining grace becomes at work in those habits so that when the ball is hit your way, you can make the play. You can make the play. There's something else that happens with holy habits. Not only do we make the play we're supposed to make, and I want us to think about things that you would normally expect of a disciple of Jesus. You better not go to work and steal anything. You better not go to work and tell a lie. You better not tell a lie to your spouse. you got to make the play, friend, because sustaining grace is at work in your life, and you're being formed and shaped like Jesus. This is, this is the basic expectation of being a follower of Jesus. But let's move beyond that. And I want you to think about a different experience that happens. I, I turned on ESPN uh, a, a few days ago, and at some point they're going to have a show called Sports Center. And you know what Sports Center does? It takes the entire world of sports and it tells you the, the big high things, the, the, the big moments that happened, it gives you the scores, and it takes you inside the score and shows you some of the plays that, made, that are made. And, and one of my favorite players is a guy named Javier Baez. He now plays for the New York Mets. But, but there was a Javier Baez play. And, and we, I love watching him play. We call him El Mago, which means the magician. Because he makes outs that like no one else is going to make. And I turned on SportsCenter, and here's one of these Javi plays where he's going back and he's diving and he's laying out, and it was a SportsCenter top 10. Did you know... That, that not one time in the entire program of SportsCenter did I see a routine ground ball. Like, they never put that on. Hey, we got a routine ground ball here, and the Mets win the game. Like, they're showing you the highlight. They're showing you what the player did above and beyond what the player is expected to do. Let me tell you something, follower of Jesus. Not only does sustaining grace empower you to do the things that you're expected to do, because you're a follower of Jesus. Sustaining grace empowers you to do the spectacular things. 
the things that you can only do because you are plugged into the life of God. You are plugged in so deeply to God's grace and to God's mission. And you have God's eyes that sees the world the way God sees it. And you have God's heart that breaks for the things that breaks God's heart. And you have God's hands that are ready to go to work for the, for the, for the kingdom of God. And because of this grace at work in your life, you do these amazing, spectacular things for the Lord. This is, uh, this is really exciting to me. There was, uh, I think about my, my father, who, as I can recall, always did the things that were expected of him. Never remember him telling a lie, never remember him stealing anything, never remember him being ugly to anyone. But there was a moment where he was having some difficulty with his local church. Some people were saying some things about him that weren't true, and they had this meeting, and anytime the church gets together for anything other than worship, it's usually a bad idea. Oh, I take that back eating okay if we're getting together to worship or to eat it's a good thing if we're getting together for any other reason it's usually a bad thing and so they get they got together for this uh, all church meeting and they were trying to work out some things and people begin to come to a microphone and say some things about my dad that just weren't true and there were people that supported what my dad was trying to do and there were people that you know were were not supporting what he tried to do and there was a person there named Lawrence. Lawrence was not a follower of Jesus, but his wife was. And, and the whole thing was kind of like a train wreck. You can't turn away. And so Lawrence came to the meeting, and, and he's watching this meeting go down. And what he said in his testimony, he, he said, I never gave Christianity a second thought. But I saw someone who had all kinds of accusations made against him. And they remained cool. They remained full of grace. They responded with love and compassion. He said, for the first time in my life, God spoke to me and said, it's real. If you can watch Dana go through all of this and act the way Jesus did, then you need to know it's real. It's true. It's something you can build your life on. And I guess that's one of my dad's Sports Center top 10 moments where he did something because of sustaining grace at work in his life that was beyond what was expected of him. Sustaining grace at work in our lives, it's formed by these, these holy habits. And so let's visit again what the writer of Hebrews says. So God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his whole... You talk about spectacular, you talk about Sports Center Top 10 moment. He disciplines us in our, for our good so that we may share in his holiness. You want to have an impact on the world? Let's be formed in such a way that we share in the holiness of God. And then what else does he go on to say? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. That's spectacular. Can we be people that live in peace with everyone? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I'm incredibly optimistic about what sustaining grace can do in our lives. Friends, through sustaining grace, you can make the play you're expected to play, make. And also through sustaining grace, you can be empowered. You can be empowered to do what you never thought was possible in your life. 
You know, so many times when we talk about amazing grace, we think about that moment of our forgiveness. We think about that moment where we had strayed from God, where we had sinned, and we were living for ourselves. And then we find the Lord, and we trust Him for salvation, and God forgives us. And that is absolutely amazing. But what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, what sustaining grace is about, is this grace of empowerment. And friends, I believe with all my heart that this grace of empowerment is just as amazing as this grace of forgiveness. This grace of empowerment is just as amazing as the grace of forgiveness. And as the, the way we experience this grace of empowerment is we respond to what God is wanting to do in our life. Not too long ago, I got a mountain bike. I got a pretty good one, too. And I began to ride some of the trails and experience some of the things that we have here. And I'm telling you, if you're at the bottom of a hill and you got to climb one of these hills on, in, in, on a mountain bike, it's hard. Man, it's, it's really hard work. There's been a few times where I've been on a trail where I just had to get off and I had to walk my bike up the hill. Just couldn't do it. it. It was not possible for me to go up that hill. But I got a friend who let me use his e-bike. Have you heard of these things? They're amazing. They're battery powered and they have a little engine in them. And there's different settings. And depending on what setting you put is how much effort the engine gives in addition to you turning the pedals. And so I got out on the trails with one of these e-bikes, and oh my goodness, I was a pro out there. It was amazing. I climbed that hill so fast, I was going down. I did trails I had never done before. I had it all the way. I Man, I had it set up on like six. You just like barely touched the pedal, and you're like, man, you're going. It's awesome. But here's the thing about that e-bike. It will not move forward. It will not move forward until you get on it and you apply a little bit of pressure to that pedal. And when you apply a little bit of pressure to that pedal, depending on what setting you're on, you will take off and you will go and you will do things in your human strength you are incapable of doing. Are you with me? Are, are, are you understanding this grace of empowerment? When we respond to what God is doing, this grace that God gives to us, this response is just this tiniest little bit. This tiniest, smallest little bit of synergy happens within the life of God in which we, through our freed will that's been freed by grace, we make a decision to participate with God. And we make a decision to move forward. And God's grace kicks in, this grace of empowerment kicks in, and we become more than we ever could on our own. I'm excited about the church. Some people are down on the church. But when I think about a group of people who are saying, here, Lord, all of me, empower me, fill me with your spirit. Let your grace sustain and keep me let your grace empower me to be your hands and feet in the world. Oh, I'm really excited about who we can become in Christ through grace. And it begins with what Christ has done for us. 
And so today I want to invite you to the Lord's table because this optimistic vision of who we can become, none of it's possible without what Jesus has done on the cross. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper today. And I'm going to distribute the communion elements to our servers. And they're going to be here at the front of the sanctuary. And what I, what I want you to do is I want you to make this movement towards the table. You see, these emblems, they represent the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. It is a banquet that God has prepared for us. And he invites us to come and to dine with him. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to the table here in just a moment. The worship team's going to sing, and as they sing, I want you to hear the words of this song. Because I, I believe there's probably some followers of Jesus here in the room, and, and maybe you're looking for that next vine, and it's not there. I want you to know the sustaining grace is always present in your life. And I pray that the grace that sustains you would be just as amazing in your life. I pray that it would still amaze you the way it did when you first came to faith. And so let's do this this morning. This is how we're going to do communion. As the worship team sings, I want you to come. I want you to receive the element. And then I just want you to, you can go ahead and open it up. Hold the bread in your hand. You can open up the juice, have the juice ready. And just hold these emblems of Christ's broken body and his shed blood in your hand. As the worship team sings. And let's be amazed by the grace of God. And then we will receive this meal together. Would you stand as they sing? Come and receive.